Sweet. All right, so yeah, again, welcome to Monitoring is Code. I'm Jason. I work with uh, Datadog as an evangelist. Uh, all of you on your chairs have a little scratcher ticket. That's just a little fun game that we're doing because we're in Vegas and everybody likes games and winning things. So scratch off your scratcher at some point. Uh, some of you, there's a one in 10 chance, I believe, of winning some Datadog socks, which are really cool. And someone out there will win a, a new phone, an iPhone X or a Pixel 2. So if you've, if you've won anything, drop by the Datadog booth and claim your prize, or drop by and you can see a demo. Um, but enough of that, you didn't came, come to hear about Datadog, particularly to be sold on it. What you want to be hearing about is monitoring as code. So I'm going to bring up Adam from Fandango, and he's going to talk about how Fandango actually monitors their infrastructure and they control it all through code. Thanks, Jason. How are you doing, guys? My name is Adam Kane. I'm the director of engineering at Fandango. Uh, Fandango operates multiple businesses, um, and with that comes very tech stacks. Um, we're, we're, we've recently started moving into a more hybrid cloud environment uh, situation. Um, a little bit more about Fandango. Uh, Fandango is the ultimate digital network for all things movies. Um, our portfolio reaches more than 60 million unique visitors a month. Uh, and some of these logos you might recognize. Uh, we have companies down in South America that sell movie tickets. We have a video on demand streaming service, um, a merchandise service, Rotten Tomatoes, which I'm sure most of you are familiar with. Um, so with this comes a lot of uh, different, different tech stacks and, and different uh, integrations. So what we're going to talk about today, we're going to go a little bit uh, over the history of our infrastructure and monitoring at Fandango. We're going to talk about some of the problems that we've, uh, we've, we've come across and the challenges. And then Jason's going to come back up and talk a little bit more about Datadog. And then I'm going to show you how we deploy uh, monitoring and alerts uh, with code. Um, and then we'll talk about some of the stuff that we're, we're working on going into 2018. So first, a little bit of history. Um, the, the core application for Fandango has been in a data center for a long time. Uh, most of the services are, are monolithic and, and sit in a data center. So with that, um, there's lots of manual monitoring and configuration uh, and setting up alerts uh, using traditional tools like Nagios uh, and then more, more recently CloudWatch, but still kind of a manual process. Um, early on, we eventually migrated to Sensu, which, which is another monitoring framework. Um, and, and with that, we, we kind of revamped how we, how we started looking at monitoring. We wanted to integrate it with Puppet, which, which we use pretty heavily in our environments. Um, so, so with that, we started to, to uh, allow for inheritance. Um, one example being if you have 10 services that all require MySQL with Sensu, we could build a, a Puppet class for monitoring MySQL, and you can just inherit that on all your services rather than um, adding an, an alert for each one. Um, so then we started moving into the hybrid cloud situation where we have we have uh, services in a data center, and we have services in AWS. Sometimes it's the same service, and we, we, we span across them using a direct connect. So with that, started, we started getting some, uh, running into some challenges. Um, one of the challenges was uh, with all those business units, that we, all those logos that we showed you on a, a couple slides earlier, uh, different platforms across all of them. Some of them are using um, traditional Nagio stuff. Some of them are using CloudWatch. Um, some of them are using other SaaS solutions. Um, so being able to uh, adapt the architectural changes and, and all these services that start going into the cloud started to become, started to become challenging to monitor. Um, and handling that growth of, of new services being built by developers um, and building out new infrastructure in AWS, uh, it became tedious and it just doesn't scale with humans. So we started to look into new solutions. Um, we, we obviously had a checklist. We wanted more automation. 
Um, we evaluated Datadog and some other SaaS solutions. Um, Datadog had some really good flexible APIs and, and predefined integrations, which, which was really good for us because we have so many different services in our tech stack. Um, and we wanted something that kind of fit into our previous model, um, something that we, like that, that framework that we built with Sensu. We wanted, uh, we wanted to make sure that we could integrate it with Puppet, we could, we could automate things and, and use, utilize the APIs. So with all that, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have Jason come back up and start talking about uh, Datadog and, and just monitoring in general. Thanks. So, as I said, I'm a technical evangelist at Datadog. Um, for some of you, you're thinking I'm a sales guy, which thankfully I'm not, because I would hate that job. Um, but a little bit about Datadog, we, we are a monitoring solution, so we help you monitor your systems, help you understand what's going on in them, and know when things aren't acting the way that you think they ought to be. Uh, we do have nearly 300 integrations out of the box, which helps you get up and running really quickly. Open source agent, bunch of libraries to get you covered. Well-documented API, which, as Adam mentioned, is important if you want to do monitoring as code. Um, and we do scale really well, so we handle trillions of points of data every single day. Uh, but beyond this, you know, as Adam starts talking about the requirements that they had for monitoring, it helps for all of us to start thinking about the requirements that we have. Uh, for each individual business, you've got different requirements, but I think it all comes down to really four key components. When you're looking at any sort of monitoring tool, whether you're doing monitoring as code right now or, whether, or if you're not, uh, having these good, these good qualities is really important. And the first is that they have to be really well understood. Uh, so there's this great analogy, or this great parable, of the blind men and the elephant. Um, and the parable goes like this, that there's a bunch of blind men, and they all encounter an elephant, and so each of them grabs onto a portion of the elephant. And so one guy grabs around the, one of the legs, and he says, the elephant is like a tree, because it's, it's big and round and it's sturdy. And then another one grabs the tail and says, you know, the elephant is like a snake, because it's thin and it's uh, long. And the thing that this relates to with monitoring is that really your monitoring tool needs to be well understood. Not in simply that you understand the metrics and that everybody understands what a metric point means or what value it has, but understanding where you belong within the ecosystem of your business. What part do you play, right? So if you're just looking at one portion of your systems, what does that actually mean? Is that, does that elephant look like a snake to you? Or actually, are you looking at the entire thing? So being able to have all of your, your metrics, all of your logs, all of your traces coming into one central point so that your developers and your operations engineers and even your business people can understand what you're actually looking at and why those metrics actually matter to your business. The second quality of good metrics is that they have to be sufficiently granular. And I think we all natively understand this when we look at things in the world. Uh, last year, the Summer Olympics, um, one of my favorite events is the men's 50-meter freestyle. And I love this event because it's really fast. Um, we can see here some of the medal times. So, you know, the U.S. came in first at 21.4 seconds. Uh, France came in second at just a hundredth of a second after that. And we understand that inherently the granularity matters, right? Because if we look at this and we say that our granularity should be full seconds, well then congratulations everybody uh, except for the guy that came in eighth would have won gold because they all finished in 21 seconds. But we understand that granularity truly matters and it even matters on the level of this. We can see that 
in sixth place, there was actually a tie. So when we're thinking about the metrics that we're gathering, uh, one of the great things is that AWS rolled out high-resolution custom metrics. So you can start getting one-second granularity on your custom metrics. So if we look at a spike, this is what it looks like for one second, right? If I'm looking at this graph, we can see that we had about a 46.67% spike, um, and we can see the time there, that it happened at 2.06 p.m. in 16 seconds. Well, what happens when we roll up our granularity, or roll up our metrics to one minute, right? Well, with that one minute, not only are we shifting from those 16 seconds after the full minute, so we're losing the idea of when that incident actually happened, but we've actually now averaged that down, so it's 36%. If you are using hybrid cloud and you're using something that's not AWS, uh, that tends to roll up a little more aggressively, uh, some of the other major cloud providers roll up to five minutes. Look at what happens at five minutes. Um, you know, so the scale on these uh, is, is a little blown up, but at five minutes, not only have we shifted to 2.05 p.m., so if this is an incident, you're suddenly looking in your logs in the completely wrong place, uh, but now it's at 12%, so congratulations, you didn't actually have an incident, right? Um, you're doing great according to the roll-up. So understand that the granularity truly matters. The third quality that we absolutely need out of all of our monitoring systems is that they have to give us the ability to tag and filter metrics. When you think of metrics, traditionally, this is how we've thought of them. A metric name, what is it? Some sort of value of, of what happened, and then a time of when that happened. And this is, you know, generally what we think of a metric point, but we really need to add a fourth quality to all of our metrics. We need to have those tags, that metadata. What AZ was it in? What region was it in? What application was it? This is what gives us true observability within our systems, because when we have that extra data, we can start to query against our systems. We can think of them as a matrix. So we can start to query and say things like, how many requests per second are running on my nodes that are running Postgres? But not only on the nodes running Postgres, but maybe the ones that are running Postgres that are part of my accounting app versus my web application. How many of them are running not only Postgres for my accounting app in US East 1, but, you know, by various availability zones in that region, or start to compare them as we start to distribute our applications to different regions, to different AZs. We want to be able to compare what's going on and ensure that we don't have any outliers. And the fourth really good quality of metrics that you absolutely need is that they have to be long-lived. You have to retain things. The reason that we want to retain things is we need to understand the history. We need to understand the patterns. I was talking with Adam earlier, and he's talking about, you know, we're, most of us here are probably Star Wars fans, right? Star Wars is coming out in December, and pre-sales have started. And they always come out in December, right? And so you have these patterns, or you have the patterns of people buy movie tickets on Fridays and Saturdays, uh, not so much on Mondays. So being able to understand these cyclical patterns will help you understand what's going on in your metrics. The great thing, as I mentioned, is that AWS does have high-resolution metrics. So you can get one-second metrics, but they only last for about three hours. So at Datadog, we like to pull those metrics out and keep them for longer so that you have access to them. So they start to do some roll-ups, but they do keep things around for 15 months. 
Datadog, we match that, we keep things around for 15 months in that one second granularity because we do think that it truly matters. And just an example of this, if I were to ask you, does anyone see the pattern here? Maybe? What if I did this? That helps it a lot, right? Because if you keep these trends around, if you keep these histories around, you can start to gather far more information than rather than seeing maybe a cluster of five spikes and understanding that those are days, but when you keep that history around, you're able to see things like, well, what happened on this Tuesday, right? It's not things that we would natively be able to see. It's not something that I could set an alert for that would say, when, when my request per second drops below a certain point, because then that would fire every single night of the week. So understanding that keeping these histories around provides us with all of that information. So just to re recap, really, there's four good qualities when you're starting to look at your systems. You know, first is to make sure that they're well understood. Make sure that everybody across your organization has access to your monitoring systems, that they can see what's important to them, that they know where they fall within the business. Essentially, bringing together true DevOps, having your devs and your ops and your business all aligned. The second is to ensure that you have that granularity. Take advantage of those high resolution, resolution metrics if you can. The third, to understand that you need those tags. You need the ability to filter. Start making intelligent queries so that you can understand more about your systems. And the fourth is to keep things around. Maintain that history so you understand what's going on. So with those, keep those in mind as you analyze what your needs are. And I'm going to turn it back to Adam to explain more of his needs and how they solve them. Thanks, Jason. Uh, I really like the, this is an anomaly detection with Datadog. We use it a lot. It works really well. Um, so essentially, after, after reviewing Datadog, demoing, um, we thought like, this was a perfect fit for us. Um, like I said, we have a, a, a ton of business units, very tech stacks. Pretty much a little bit of everything, if it, everything from Windows to Linux to, to Java to .NET to MySQL to RDS to MS SQL. So being able to have all those integrations without, without having to, to code and, and create uh, scripts for monitoring and, and writing in Python and Ruby, Datadog already has all those integrations, so it was perfect for us. Um, it was also easy to, 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 to fit into our, our hybrid cloud. So our on-prem and our AWS, we could, we could utilize, the, utilize the same configs across both. Um, it's also a great single pane of glass. It's great for business, our business leaders and KPI metrics. Uh, it's also great for our NOC and our, our engineers and our, our operations team. And like I said earlier, great APIs, easily, easily automated. So with that, we're gonna, let's, let's start talking about how we deploy some of this stuff. How many people here are familiar with Puppet and Terraform? Or, or, okay, great. So we use a lot of Puppet, a lot of Terraform. So you're gonna see some code snippets. Um, but before we, we've, right before we get into that, let's, let's just talk about how we deploy. So we deploy Datadog agents via Puppet, and those go onto VMs or long-standing EC2 instances. Um, you obviously can't deploy an agent on, on an ELB or an RDS instance, so. Um, and then monitoring and alerting and dashboards, uh, those are all deployed with Terraform. So you can create dashboards and alerts and, and monitors, all with, all with Terraform, all in code. You don't have to click around the, the UI if you don't want to. And then lastly, not, like I said, not all of our hosts run agents. Um, if, we, or if we're running spot instances and something like that, we just utilize the Datadog integration for, for CloudWatch, and it'll pull in all those metrics for us. So 
starting at the foundation, uh, which is Puppet, this is how we actually deploy our, our um, agents, the actual packages. So here we're just, we're saying if the operating system is Windows, deploy the Windows package, make sure the Windows service is start, uh, started and it, it'll start on re, uh, restart. And same thing with Linux, deploy the package, some additional config, and make sure the service is started. <clears throat> and then go, after we've installed the agent, we also, we also wanna do, we wanna in, uh, configure a, a, a brand new integration for Cassandra. This is a Cassandra cluster. What we're doing here is we're calling the, the uh, Fandango Datadog module that we built in Puppet. We base this off of uh, the, the Datadog agent module on the Puppet Forge, so it's, it's out there if you, if you need it. Uh, and all we're doing here is we're defining an uh, ERB template for our YAML file so we can inject some variables based on environment and everything. We're calling, giving it a cluster name and we're giving it a port. And then the YAML file looks like this. And this is, this is straight from the Datadog agent package. They have examples of all their integrations. So you can take that example file and modify it for your needs. You can see we're, we're putting variables on the port, the username, the password, the cluster name. Uh, and and what, what will happen when Puppet runs is it'll inject those variables based on your environment or your, your region, if you're in the data center, if you're in AWS. And that's it, that's all you have to do to deploy the agent. So essentially what's gonna happen is the next time Puppet runs, the Datadog agent's gonna be installed, the YAML file is gonna be placed in the proper config directory, and then the Datadog agent, Puppet will tell the Datadog agent to restart so that it can pull in that, that Cassandra YAML file and it'll start shipping your, uh, connect to your cluster, start, start shipping the metrics. So in terms of deploying monitoring, we, we're using Terraform. So the first thing you have to do with Terraform is you have to define your API key and your app key so that you can, Terraform can communicate, communicate with Datadog. And all Terraform is really doing is abstracting the API and putting it in code readable format. Uh, so we'll, we log into the Datadog UI, go to the admin panel, uh, create an app, API key and app key, and then we populate our, our Terraform repo with it. And then next, this is, this is how we actually create a, uh, an actual check, a monitor that is gonna call the API and Datadog, set it all up. What we're doing here is we're, we're filling out the required API fields that Datadog needs. So the name, we're gonna call it a global CPU usage check. We're gonna, tell data, oh, we're gonna tell Datadog that it's a metric alert. And then there's messages and escalation messages. We'll get into that in a little bit. But at the heart of it, right in the middle, is the query. And essentially what this query is saying is that, uh, give me the average system CPU and user space for the last one hour in my environment tag for production and break it down by host. And only show me things over 85%. And then we have the thresholds. We're saying market has yellow or warning if it's 85 and market red if it's 95. And then we run Terraform Apply. So Terraform will run. You can see that the creation is complete. And then you can jump on the Datadog site and you'll see that the, the alert was pushed, the monitor was pushed, and everything's green. So across my entire ecosystem of infrastructure, I'm checking for any CPU over 85%. So just to recap, we wrote some Terraform code. Pretty simple, less than, less than 100 lines for sure. Uh, we set up the API and app key for Datadog so that Terraform can talk to the API. And then we wrote the CPU usage check for 85%. All we did was run Terraform apply and the monitor, the monitor showed up on the, the UI and then we'll get into the alert, the alert part aspect. So first, we want, we want to define the definitions of alerts and how we, how we, how we define them at Fandango. Uh, an alert is something that needs immediate action. Someone needs to wake up in the middle of the night 
and a notification is something for like a backup job just completed successfully, or maybe we change that and escalate it if it failed and we, we send a PagerDuty alert or something. Uh, we utilize the Slack integration a lot, so most of our alerts go into a Slack channel. Uh, we, like I said, we use PagerDuty a lot. And then uh, we also, you, Datadog will also let you do email distribution lists and, and you can send, send a list for, for any, any metric. So back to the, the CPU check, in, in terms of how you, how you set up your alerting, you're gonna, you're gonna do it right here in the message. So our message for, for this check is gonna be, hey, the CPU is high on, on the host and it's a variable, Datadog will populate that host. And then we're gonna send it to a Slack channel, which is an integration, and we're gonna alert our, our FD alert Slack channel. For escalations, you can also, uh, based on the threshold of the, down at the bottom, the retry notify interval, you can, you can have an escalation message that says, hey, after, after an hour, the, C, the CPU is still above these, th these thresholds, so let's escalate this. For us, we, we're still sending it to the, the Slack, same Slack channel, but you could change this, send it to a PageDuty alert, an Opstein alert, whatever it might be. And that's it, that's how easy it is to create a monitor and alert Less than 100 lines of Terraform code, you push it, and, and if any of your CPU across your infrastructure goes above 85%, someone's gonna be notified. So oh, I wanna talk about some of the stuff that we're doing through, throughout now to 2018. Uh, one of my favorite things, one of my passions is, is the service inheritance, inheritance dashboards. And what this really means is, is uh, we build all of our infrastructure in AWS with Terraform already. So as a developer, if you're building a new microservice, and let's say your microservice is Node.js, you wanna run it on an EC2 instance, you want to, you need Elastic Cache, Redis, and RDS. So you have all these dependencies, you're gonna build that already in Terraform, you're gonna send a pull request, someone's gonna approve it, merge it, your infrastructure's gonna be built. But what you can also now do within Terraform is you can add all your monitoring, all your, your alerts, any escalations for your service, you can monitor all your dependencies, your database, your, your, your cache, your Node.js, your EC2 instance, your ELB. And you can do that all in code so that as a developer, when you're, when you're submitting your pull request to, to build your infrastructure for your microservice, your monitoring is already there. You're gonna make the operations team happy, you're gonna make the NOC happy. So once you run that Terraform apply and build that infrastructure, you're, you're essentially, your, your, code, your infrastructure is gonna go to a pre-prod environment you're gonna be able to log into Datadog, you're gonna have your own dashboard. It's gonna have all your dependencies on it. It's gonna have your ELB request per second, your, your Elastic Cache stats, your RDS stats, all, all on one dashboard for your service. So then you can, you can go to the knock and say, hey, this is the dashboard you wanna look at if my service is having an issue, has everything on it. The second thing we're doing is building out more chat ops. And what that really means is we're integrating more with, with Slack and Datadog. When we have an incident, a production incident or an outage, everyone migrates to Slack, we're all, we're all fighting the fire on Slack. So being able to um, real time add a comment to an event in Datadog so that you can go back during your retro or your, RC, your, your root cause analysis and, and you don't have to remember what was going on, you don't have to scroll through your chat history, it's all there on the events in Datadog. Uh, the third thing we're working on is increasing our uh, global dashboard. So because we have so many business units, we have a video streaming service, we have a movie ticket service, we have a, a merchandise service, and they're all different, different businesses, really. So being able to show the business a global dashboard of red, green, yellow, everything's green across all of our business, all on one page for, for, for business leaders, 
is something that we're working, working towards. And then lastly, um, additional KPI metrics. Um, one, one example that we're, we're looking into is, let's, let's say you have a customer service application, your customer service team, um, they, uh, call volume increases. We wanna pull those metrics into Datadog so that we can overlay those, that call volume of, of customers complaining that they can't buy a movie ticket with perhaps a, a database spike in, in reads and writes and we're having an outage. Um, or maybe we're not capturing the right metric in, in Datadog and we don't know, so we can follow that call volume and say, hey, something's going on in our system. Um, another example would be uh, something like utilizing the Twitter API or the Facebook API, pulling in metrics of people talking about Fandango and being able to see when, when, when Fandango is being, being spoken about on Twitter, it spikes, perhaps we're having an issue, let's check our other metrics, let's overlay it. Being able to have all that in Datadog is important. So that's it. Um, we're gonna open up for questions, we'll bring Jason back up. There's mics on both sides if anyone wants to ask a question. While you guys are, are doing that, if you're getting set to uh, line up for questions, I have a question since you mentioned sure. Twitter. Are you actually gonna start monitoring via Twitter? Is that the... the yeah, we want, I wanna pull, like, Google API also has it for, for, for searching. Um, yeah, it would be great to be able to pull in those metrics and, and have a dashboard that's showing, hey, our Twitter, our Twitter use, or people are saying Fandango on Twitter a lot, right? Yeah. Uh, go ahead. So you guys mentioned some of the more uh, classic monitoring tools like Nagios and that kind of stuff. Um, are you guys still using those kind of checks in your environment, or have you pretty much completely migrated to just using metrics to tell the tale? Um, for the most part, we've migrated to completely using metrics as well as our, our log service. So we have a log aggregation service where we're also use, utilizing for, for checking um, anomalies and, and spikes and errors and stuff like that. Okay. Was it a, was it a difficult cultural shift to, uh, to do that kind of thing, like to get like developers interested in, in the metrics and actually like measuring things and all of that? Like how did, what did, you, did you guys do any like special events or anything to like bring this to be a thing or was it just something that everybody kind of picked up or? Um, a little bit of both. We didn't do any really, really special events but a lot of the developers picked it up right away. Um, some of our newer services, developers are already creating custom metrics that they want to ship to Datadog so they can see. Essentially what we, we did as the operations team is we built, we built a bunch of dashboards and, and we showed them and they followed. They were okay. like, wow, this is awesome. We've never seen this many metrics, we want this. So, and, then I, and then we started explaining as the operations group and, and pushing that out and for the culture or the community is saying, hey, if you write a Java program or a Node.js program, you can write custom metrics that will pull in via StatsD and ship to Datadog and then you can watch everything, watch all, all your applications working. Cool, thank you. Yeah, no problem. Right, so the question is, and correct me if I'm wrong, you're, you're asking how do, we, how do we connect the Puppet, like we're deploying Nginx, for example, with Puppet, and how do we connect the Terraform part, is that correct? Um, so when we build a new service or build out our new infrastructure, all of our developers are aware that uh, you create a Puppet module in the class, and then you create your infrastructure with Terraform. So, so you, we don't accept the pull request until both of those are complete. And then they both, they both run together. So once the infrastructure is built, Puppet, Puppet's gonna be installed on that infrastructure by default as part of our default package. And once Puppet runs, it's gonna, it's gonna see like, hey, I have all this stuff for Nginx, let's install it. 
Does that make sense? Yes. Sure. No problem. So uh, this was described as monitoring-driven deployment, and I interpreted that to work like test-driven development. I, I imagine you creating the monitor first in the dashboard, and then you know the deployment's done when it goes green. Are you doing anything like that? Because um, it sounds like you're doing them both at the same time. Yeah, so, so when, we, when, when I say we're deploying the infrastructure, that's actually a pre-production environment. So if you, if you include all your metrics in your pre-production environment, like a QA environment where we're going to do load tests and everything else, you're going to get all those metrics before it even goes to prod so we can spot problems in code or problems in the system. Okay, thanks. Do you have a question? Yeah. Um, you mentioned that you had a mix of Nagios and other monitoring yeah. solutions before. Yep. Did you have to start from scratch when you moved to Datadog, or did you somehow in a, you know, transform that, those uh, configurations? I, I guess it's a little bit of both. We, we transformed some of them, and, and then for all new, like because we're rewriting a lot of our applications, so all the new services, we would just use the new model with Datadog and Terraform. And, so just and let the old stuff die, and then? It's essentially, yeah. OK. Yep. All right. Uh, I have two questions. So, did you use SaaS version of Datadog, or do you use, uh, install on-premises Datadog? Do you want to answer that? Yeah, so for Datadog, we are a SaaS model. So, uh, for your own on-prem, you would install our agent that still sends the metrics up to us, but all the metrics are on our systems, and that provides you with the dashboards and all the alerting. But do you provide the full-feature version on-premises Datadog? No. So. Uh, in order to do what we do at the scale we do it and at the speed that we do it, it's a pretty complex setup, so it's not really feasible for you to install it because it can't just be packaged up in one single package. So can you explain something about the secure uh, boundaries around the Datadog? Like some of might be a customer like us, we take our data very yeah, so people are always concerned whenever you're sending data over the internet um, to someone else that you can't control. We are SOC 2 compliant, um, and we're working on a bunch of other compliant certifications. Uh, but really, when it comes down to it, we work with you and your team. Uh, you're sending time series metrics, really, so there shouldn't be any uh, PIAA uh, information um, or things like that. But we can actually talk with you a bit later about that. Okay, and one question for you. So, sure. uh, so you deploy configuration on agents. How do you handle the custom requirement? Like some of uh, your specific group ask for a different custom monitoring. Are you, are you referring to like uh, building custom metrics? Custom metrics. Right. So our, our so uh, Datadog has a stat. We use the StatsD integration. Um, Jason could probably touch a little bit more on that. But what our developers do is like for Java, for example, if we want JMX uh, stats, they'll they'll send that to StatsD and we'll pull and StatsD will actually ship that to Datadog. No, my question was around, like you mentioned in your configuration, 85% error, 80% oh, right. warning, yep. but some of your customer groups said, no, we want errors at 95%, warning at 90%. So yep. some servers having a different custom Yeah, so you can, you can inherit based on, based on your service. So you can make those numbers an actual variable, and then, and then with, with how we would do it with Puppet is we would use uh, higher configs in order to change those variables based on the service tag. Does that make sense? Yeah. Sure. So I had a question. Why do we need uh, Terraform to uh, do the deployment of the dashboards and monitoring? And uh, is it not the job of the ops guy to go and create the dashboards? It kind of forces the developer to learn that aspect of monitoring as a part of the development. Yeah, I, I sort of agree. I, I think, I think putting, putting the responsibility in the developer's hands is probably more powerful. Uh, but we do a little bit of both. So, 
Um, our operations team will help and guide and build and, and, and tell developers if they need help uh, in terms of what metrics they need. Uh, but overall, we, we, like, we like the freedom of responsibility culture where you as a developer, if you're building a microservice, you should own it. Okay, cool. Hey, um, so I guess um, you said you were using a Terraform um, Puppet. Have you guys gotten to the point where you do something like Terraform Puppet Packer, like fully immutable for your deployments? And mm -hmm. if you have, like, how much more difficult is it, you think, to actually start integrating this? Because now you can't, like, just easily SSH and test and see if your actual commands around with, for example, like your data metrics. Right. Um, so we usually figure that out in, in pre-production if there's any issues. So, and, and and to be honest, we haven't had we haven't had a, a time where like Puppet hasn't hasn't uh, been installed because it's actually included in our AMIs or our, our base image for VMs. So, Puppet will as long as you have your Puppet modules and your 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 uh, Terraform infrastructure pushed and built. What you can do is in Datadog, we actually have, there's another integration with Puppet that will tell you like Puppet failed to run. So you don't actually have to SSH into a machine. We're, yeah. trying, to, we're trying to get away from like cheating machines like pets, right? Yeah. Okay, cool. One more over here. I, uh, question here. Can you hear me? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's for Fandango, but uh, here's a question. You mentioned that to, you are basically web scraping Twitter or Facebook feeds and. and Not yet, but that, that's something that we're working towards, yeah. Oh, it's on the roadmap. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so what the question was in that context and how you're ingesting that metadata and then graphing that to get insights, uh, correlating it to CPU utilization, for example. Yep. Um, so we, we, haven't got, we haven't gone that deep yet, um, but I think overall how we would probably do it is, is feed that into like a Kinesis stream or something like that and, and have, have something pulling out the data and, and analyzing it. Okay. Thank you. Sure. Hi. Thanks for the talk. Um, I had a question about uh, developers building custom metrics. So, and maybe you can also answer from Datadog. Um, I was wondering if you ran into any issues around like, the, um, I guess like the dimensionality of your metrics. So there's these limits in Datadog that I saw where you can only have 100 metrics per host. And I think when we think about things as like, we have hundreds of different microservices that each can emit. Anyway, like if you had multiple fields that you're matching, you're very quickly gonna go to a number that's much larger than n times 100. Uh, anyway, <laughs> how do you uh, handle people who have a use case like that where they have high dimensionality custom metrics? Or yeah, do you I mean, build them so they avoid that? So it is per host, um, and obviously if you're running a bunch of microservices, ideally you'd have them spread out, so hopefully that helps keep things under and you're not running all of your microservices on one machine. Um, I, I, this isn't like a great example, but let's say yeah. you have 100 microservices and each one has like, like what if you want to, emit in that metric like what host they're running on, <laughs> then suddenly you already have like host times microservices. Yeah, so I think part of it, the key is to understand what metrics you're already pulling in. Um, and you know, Sorry, uh, I work with Jason at Datadog. It's not a limit of 100 per host. That's uh, what's included in your plan. Yeah. So they're, I'm happy to chat with you afterwards, but you are not limited to 100 metrics. You can, we have customers that submit thousands upon thousands of metrics per host and it's not a problem. Yeah, we're, we that have, said, it we is. Have, we have like 500 per host. Yeah. yeah. You know, when, when it comes down to that, I mean, I'm, as I understand your question, it's not so much the limit, it's managing that cost. And I really think it comes down to uh, really talking with your development team and uh, helping them to understand what metrics do they actually need, right? Because I think a lot of developers, and being a developer myself, we're used to outputting logs all the time. And when you give a developer a tool like Datadog, you know, when I first had Datadog, it's like, I can make a metric for anything. 
just in the same way that when I was, had logs, you know, and you're using it to debug, like, I would just emit logs everywhere, and suddenly you have giant, like, you know, terabyte-sized log files. In the same way, you can do the same thing with Datadog, and it's probably just more of an education thing for a developer to understand what metrics are really valuable and what they actually need to see, rather than just constantly emitting metrics. How do you manage your uh, sensitive information to deploy on your uh, instances? Uh, for example, um, use Puppet to push uh, configuration from um, MySQL.yml uh, to uh, get metrics uh, over MySQL uh, instances. Uh, so how do you push um, credential by host? Uh, it's yeah. For so our, obviously our credentials vary based on production or staging or integration environments. So what, what we do with Puppet is there's a, there's, with Puppet you can use a, a tool called Hira, and it's, a, it's called Hira, H-I-E-R-A, um, and that's essentially a tool that will let, you, it's a YAML-based YAML files, and you can separate your environments based on, uh, based on YAMLs. So for production, we have, a, we have a secrets repo, we put all of our secret passwords in there, and then we call those, those secrets from Puppet with an with a ERB variable. So when Puppet runs, it, looks, it says, I'm running on a, a host that's tagged PRD. Pull, give me the PRD hiero file that has my credentials. Okay, thank you. I, I will check for uh, equivalent Hira. in Ansible, because I use Ansible, yeah. but, uh, okay, it makes sense. Yep. Uh, thank you very much. Hey, um, how would you guys uh, recommend customers starting off with the anomaly detection? Because uh, it seems like when I first turned it on, it was super chatty. Um, I don't know if you guys recommend customers to mute it for until we get all the historical data or? Yeah, I mean, so it does take some time for it to build up some historical data, um, and really that's part of it. The other is you can tune that, so when you go in to create that alert, there are some, some parameters that you can tune based on what algorithm you want. So play around with that to see, and you can adjust that over time. So start off with something that's a little more broadbanded, uh, set the de deviations a little bit higher and then start to tune that down over time. But, I don't know, Adam uses it quite a bit at Fandango. Uh, do you have any yeah, recommendations? Um, we, we haven't had too much difficulty with, with using it for simple stuff. Like, we, we use it a lot for CPU usage. So, um, like, let us know when there's an anomaly in CPU or memory. Um, we've, we, it's been pretty successful for, for us. I, I think maybe you're right. Like, in the very beginning, it was yeah, a little yeah. chatty. Uh, but over, over the course of a few hours, it actually calmed down. Do, do you remember what anomaly detection uh, method you're using? Um, no, I don't off the top of my head. Okay. Cool. Thank you. So we have a very similar infrastructure to you guys at Fandango. The only difference being that we're not using Terraform. We're using CloudFormation uh, natively. Yep. So, and this might be more of a question for Datadog from here on out. Um, have you guys put any thought into support for like custom resource types to do all the exact same things you guys are talking about, but to do them in CloudFormation versus having to use a tool like Terraform? I mean, Terraform's great. It's just we're kind of investing in CloudFormation. Yeah, um, I'm not super familiar with our cloud formation integration, so um, I can't really comment, unfortunately, on that. Okay. Yeah. We're kind of doing the same thing with Terraform, Puppet, um, everything like that, and one of the issues we're having as we introduce Datadog is keeping uh, our developers are adding new dashboards and metrics and stuff like that, but we also have the static set of things that we want to keep for the business and yep. the stuff we want to watch, put on our knock walls so people can't touch them. Yep. How do you manage the interplay between dynamic dashboards, static dashboards, revision control on those things in history so you can kind of keep them all in sync and sane? Yeah, uh, we, we actually have the same problem right now, so that's, that's exactly why we've introduced building, building the monitoring and the dashboards with Terraform, so that you can have more of a code review, peer review. 
Um, and I think over time, our dashboards will start to follow more, more standardizations, right? So, because you're right, like if, if you just open it up to everyone, you're gonna have all kinds of crazy dashboards, you're gonna have hundreds of them, and, and none of them are gonna make sense. So what we're trying to move towards is standardization through code, which, which you can get there if you, if you only do it through code. Okay, so do you do anything like locking down access in Datadog to say you, like, you can't create custom stuff unless you go through Terraform? Uh, we don't, actually. I don't even, like, does Datadog allow that? Yeah, so we, uh, the ACL stuff right now is, um, it's in the works, but at this point for Datadog, you pretty much either have access or you don't. Yeah. Okay, great, thank you very much. Sure. So we actually, uh, as a company, just purchased Datadog last week, and I did a little messing around with it, and I used Terraform to kind of like set it up on an ECS cluster. Yep. But uh, some things that come to mind were, you know, historically we've used Nagios for on-prem stuff, now we're moving to Datadog more. Yep. Is there things that you weren't able to do in Terraform that you have to still do manually? Um, I mean, one, one actually, actually, yeah, there's one example that, that I can think of for our, for our VMware infrastructure. Um, or, or our bare metal host in our data center. Um, it's difficult to do like things like, tell me if a disk dies. Okay. Or, or tell me if uh, my RAID battery has died. So you, it's hard to do, like I don't, I don't think you can do that with Datadog. So you still need some sort of like hardware level monitoring, right? Mm -hmm. it's, it's, unless you're all in AWS, and that's, that, that, that's where Datadog shines, is you don't, you don't really need to monitor yeah. your RAID battery. Yeah, we're kind of mixed, so. <laughs> so and yeah, we, we still use Sensu um, and, and purely for the, the bare metal stuff. Okay. Uh, other question is, how did you choose to manage your Datadog keys in Terraform? Did you do a different key per environment, per app? How did you break that out? Uh, right now it's a single key, um, but, but it's, it's controlled by, it's in a secret repo, yeah. so only the operations team can see it. Um, but I think going forward we'll probably start separating things as more, more adoption across the company from developers start using it. Okay. Cause, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, you can only have five API keys on Datadog? Five API keys, is that the max? Uh, I don't think so. I believe you can have as many as you want. Okay, because I thought I saw a limit in the GUI and I wasn't sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not that I'm, I'm not sure. We, we have a couple, but I don't think we're over five yet, so I, we haven't hit that. All right, cool, thanks. Hmm? Any other questions? Thanks All right, everyone thanks everyone for coming. <laughs> Let's go.